0: everyone, and welcome back to Chills Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Cardona.
1: And I'm Preston Porras. This week, we have two true crime stories for you.
0: So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Chills.
1: Elk Grove Village, Illinois, September 29th, 1982. It's early in the morning, and 12-year-old Mary Kellerman wakes up with a runny nose and a sore throat. She hops out of bed and goes to tell her parents. They give her a single extra-strength Tylenol. By 7 a.m., Mary is dead. Arlington Heights, Illinois, same day, September 29th, 1982. 27-year-old Adam Janus dies of what was thought to be a massive heart attack, a heart attack at 27. His brother, 25-year-old Stanley Janus, and his sister-in-law, 19-year-old Teresa Janus, come over to help console the family. Both show up with a massive headache and take a Tylenol. Stanley Janus dies later that day, and Teresa Janus passes two days later. Three deaths in the family, all within a couple of days over the next week three more people die after taking extra strength tylenol 35 year old paula prince 35 year old mary mcfarland and 27 year old mary rayner after these seven deaths in early october 1982 police got involved and made the connection every one of the seven people who died had taken an extra strength tylenol just before passing and all seven of them had died from potassium cyanide poisoning an extremely lethal chemical compound. During the investigation, while looking at things a little bit closer, Cook County Commissioner Nick Pishos compares the Tylenol bottle from the Janus household to the bottle from the Kellerman household. They share two things in common. They both have the same control number, MC2880, and both bottles smell like almonds.
0: Wait a minute, doesn't cyanide smell like almonds?
1: Exactly cyanide is known to smell like almonds. Now what does cyanide exactly do to the body and why is it so lethal? When ingested or inhaled, cyanide attacks the cells in the body and prevents them from using oxygen. When that happens, the cells die. That directly affects the brain, lungs, and heart, which can lead to seizures, cardiac arrest, and respiratory failure. The blood test results show that all seven victims had taken 100 to 1,000 times the lethal amount. It took only a couple of days for the deaths, all in the suburbs of Chicago, to capture national attention. Understandably, the country went into panic mode. Tylenol was available everywhere. Anyone had access to it. On October 1st, Deputy Medical Examiner Edmund Donahue and an attorney from Johnson & Johnson, the parent company for Tylenol, had agreed that the capsule pills had intentionally been poisoned with potassium cyanide. Later that night, it was ordered that all Tylenol be pulled from the shelves, and all Tylenol ads be taken off the TV airwaves. In total, 31 million bottles of Tylenol had to be discontinued. It cost the company over $100 million. McNeil Consumer Products, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson and the manufacturer of Tylenol, offered to replace any bottles people had with new ones. They also offered a $100,000 reward, which today in 2021 is worth about $270,000. They offered the 100,000 for any information leading to the person or group of people who had poisoned the Tylenol capsules. 11 days after the first death on October 5th, 1982, the U.S. Attorney General and FBI had joined Chicago authorities in the investigation. In the early stages of the case, Illinois State Attorney General Tyrone Fauner believe that there were about 1,200 actual leads in the case. And newspapers across the country had run over 100,000 separate articles about the poisonings. Now, like I said earlier, the country was in panic mode. The Chicago Police Department drove through the city giving warnings about poison Tylenol bottles through loudspeakers. People who had thought they were poisoned overwhelmed hospitals and tied up poison control center phone lines. During the month of October, A total of 270 copycat poisoners were arrested. They wound up using different ingredients like rat poison and hydrochloric acid. What's weird is all seven victims got their Tylenol bottles from different stores in Chicago, and every one of those stores got their bottles, except the two with the matching control number from different production plants. This led to over 10 million capsules being sent into labs to be tested. In total, 50 capsules from eight different bottles contained the lethal potassium cyanide five of the bottles belonged to the victims two of them had come from the recall and one was found on a shelf still for sale all eight bottles were tested for fingerprints but nothing had come up unfortunately surveillance cameras inside stores were rare in the 80s so no video evidence of anyone planting the bottles existed tylenol who had controlled 35 percent of the -the over-the-counter pain reliever market before the poisoning started, now only controlled 8%. They took a major hit. Investigators were doing anything and everything they could to get any direction in the case. They interviewed disgruntled employees from Tylenol, the manufacturing plant, and even the stores where Tylenol was sold. Shoplifters who had been caught at the stores were re-examined. Even recently released inmates and people released from psychiatric hospitals near Chicago were interviewed. Police decided to hold the funerals of the seven victims publicly in the hopes that the person behind the poison would show up. Unfortunately, none of this worked. What the investigators did figure out was how the killer committed the crimes. They decided that the person responsible bought the bottles of Tylenol, opened the capsules, filled them with potassium cyanide, closed them back up, sealed the bottles, and returned them all to the stores on September 28th, one day before the murders occurred. Whoever the killer was had to do it the day before because the cyanide would eventually eat through the capsules. Now, during the investigation, one man started to look really suspicious. A man by the name of James Lewis wrote a ransom letter to Johnson & Johnson claiming to be the killer. He never signed the letter, but his fingerprints were discovered on the paper. James Lewis wrote, Johnson & Johnson, parent company of McNeil Laboratories, gentlemen, as you can see, it is easy to place cyanide, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves. And since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it's easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I've spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killing, then wire 1 million to bank account number 8449597 at Continental Illinois Bank, Chicago, Illinois. Don't attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls by me will undo anything you can possibly do. An arrest warrant was immediately filed, and it wasn't until a couple of months later, on December 13, 1982, that James Lewis was caught. Aside from the note, an investigation into Lewis brought out more suspicious details. At 19 years old, he allegedly chased his mother with an axe. Okay. Then, in 1966... He was committed to his psychiatric hospital after taking 36 anacin pills. Anacin is a mixture of aspirin and caffeine. The hospital diagnosed him with catatonic schizophrenia. James Lewis claimed that he did all this in order to avoid being drafted into the Vietnam War. Lewis was later charged and acquitted in the murder of Raymond West, who in 1978 was found dismembered in his own house. After that, Lewis and his wife tried to start a business importing pill-making machines from India. They eventually failed. Next, in 1981, Lewis was caught trying to falsify credit card applications using fake mailboxes and addresses. After all this, in the winter of 1981, James Lewis and his wife moved to Chicago. Now, there were a couple of problems in connecting Lewis to the murders. First, James Lewis was arrested after being found in a New York library. He had moved to New York on September 4th, 25 days before the first death took place. Second, the bank account Lewis provided in his letter didn't even belong to him. It belonged to a man who had scammed Lewis's wife out of $500. He only provided that bank account because he wanted to bring attention to the $500 stolen from his wife. The FBI concluded that James Lewis was not the killer they were looking for. He didn't just go back home to New York though. The police charged Lewis with extortion and sentenced him to 20 years in jail. Unfortunately, to this day, no one has been caught for the Tylenol pill murders, and no one knows why it happened. In an attempt to use modern technology, the case was reopened in 2009, but even still, nothing has come of it. A wide range of changes in the way we buy products have stemmed from this case, though. Johnson & Johnson worked with the Food and Drug Administration to create the little foil seals we still use today to see if a product has been messed with. Childproof caps were added to the bottles and companies started to use caplets instead of capsules to make pills. Caplets are the single piece pills we're so used to using as opposed to capsules which come in two pieces. So the next time you break a nail on one of the seals or only manage to rip off the edge before going at it with a knife, Remember, it's only there to ensure that your products are fresh.
0: This story is about Julia Tofana, one of the most successful poisoners. Born in the 17th century during the Renaissance era, during this time, women were forced into arranged marriages. Their family had the final say in who they marry. Once they were married, the women were left powerless. Their husbands had complete control and were able to beat and abuse their wife without facing any consequences. Marriage during the Renaissance era was much more different than what we see today. Women as young as 14 were forced to marry men in their 30s. These women were not able to divorce their husbands. The only way out was death. Tofana made it her mission to help women kill their abusive husbands. Tofana turned her makeup business into something much more sinister. She sold a deadly poison, which she called Aqua Tofana. Aqua Tofana was laced with arsenic, lead, and belladonna. Belladonna is a poisonous plant that is used in medicine and has been used since ancient times. The name meaning beautiful woman comes from the Renaissance. Women would use it to enlarge their pupils. It was thought that larger pupils made them seem more attractive. According to Healthline, belladonna is native to Europe and parts of Asia. It can grow up to 5 feet and has purple flowers and dark, inky berries that are slightly sweet. Belladonna is so toxic that eating a small quantity of its leaves or berries can be fatal to humans, particularly children and some animals. Simply touching the leaves can irritate your skin. Because of its dark history, Belladonna is also called Deadly Nightshade, Dark Berries, Murderer's Berries, Sorcerer's Berries, and Devil's Berries. It is suggested that in Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet, Belladonna was used for Juliet to fake her death. Belladonna is used in a number of medications and supplements today. It is said that aqua tofano was able to kill a man with only a few drops. It was very easy to mix into food or drinks because it was odorless, colorless, and tasteless, making it undetectable. It left no trace in the bloodstream, so when an autopsy was performed, there were no signs of a suspicious death. Arsenic testing wasn't invented until 1836, which is why it was not detected at the time. But if arsenic testing was available at the time, they would have seen traces of it in the hair and nails. It attaches itself to the keratin and can be found years after a person has died. Using the poison was simple. The first drop would make a person sick, nothing too concerning, mimicking the symptoms of a cold. The second and third drops of poison would worsen the symptoms to the point where it would be concerning to a doctor the fourth and final drop would cause death. Tofana was able to sell this elixir, disguised as a powdered makeup or in a small vial. No one would think much of it because it can blend in with someone's belongings displayed on a dresser. The small vial would have an image of Saint Nicholas, and it was sold as healing ointment. Something I found interesting is that Saint Nicholas is the patron saint of unmarried people, amongst other things, I know these women were ultimately widowers, but technically they aren't married anymore. I don't know if she did that on purpose or if it was just a coincidence. It is also believed that Julia could have even used it on her own husband. When Julia started her business, she was described as a beautiful young widow who spent a lot of time with apothecaries. An apothecary is a person who prepared and sold medicine and drugs. So basically a modern day pharmacist, which could be how she perfected her own elixir. She was able to sell it throughout Italy. Tofana moved from Palermo, which is where she was born, to Naples, and then finally to Rome. Her customers even started recommending her to their friends. Unfortunately, soon after her secret was revealed. After one of her clients added the elixir into a bowl of soup for her husband to consume, she quickly changed her mind and stopped him from consuming the soup. He grew suspicious on why he wasn't able to eat his meal, which he then forced his wife to tell him the reasoning behind it. The wife revealed what she had planned to do and even revealed from who she purchased the poison from. Once her secret was revealed, there was a manhunt out for Julia. She attempted to seek asylum in a church. The townspeople grew furious and were able to drag her away after they heard a rumor that she had poisoned their drinking water. She was tortured for her confession and during her trial it was claimed that she had helped poison nearly 600 men. All in the span of 18 years. She was later executed in July of 1659 along with her employees and her daughter as well as some of her clients. Of course, some women tried to claim they had no idea of the elixir and were only buying the product for cosmetic purposes. And some of the women were lucky enough and didn't receive any form of punishment. It was speculated that Julia's mother was also a poisoner. Julia's mother, Tofania, was executed in 1633 after being accused of murdering her husband. It's possible that she even poisoned him. It is said that in medieval times and in early modern Europe, poison was women's weapon of choice. Poison was associated with cosmetics. It contained ingredients such as arsenic and belladonna. Another way that they were harming themselves was by using mercuric chloride to remove freckles and moles. Mercuric chloride or mercury chloride is a chemical compound of mercury and chloride, which is extremely toxic one gram is enough to kill a person. When mercuric chloride is absorbed into the skin, it starts killing the cells and will ultimately destroy the nervous system. Even though Julia Tofana was killed in 1659, her poison was still being discussed more than a hundred years later. Mozart, the famous composer, claimed that he had been poisoned with aqua Tofana when he fell ill. It is believed he was not poisoned and died of a strep infection. This comes to show how popular her poison was. The basic ingredients are understood but the way it was made is still unknown. And that concludes this week's episode of Chills.
1: If you like what you're hearing, be sure to follow us on Spotify or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for Conspiracies and Urban Legends.
0: Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.